Hello there. This is Jim Amici, your storyteller, with two stories transcribed from the storybook of life. There are a lot of people like the one in this story, the kind you laugh about, talk about. They're usually the victims of all your practical jokes because everything they do is wrong. It started in school a long time ago. Even then, he heard things like, That boy, will he ever grow up? Or sometimes, Can't he ever do anything right? He was born and raised in the obscurity of a small town. He was one of the few kids who never said just what he intended to do. Be a fireman, policeman, engineer. He didn't say because he didn't know. His father and mother were plain, simple. They had a farm. No, he didn't work in the fields all day and study all night. For when he did try and help out, do something he had no interest in, it'd always go wrong. When he was 16, it happened. He went to the county fair, and there it was. The airplane. It was 1930, and barnstorming was still quite popular. Now he'd seen pictures and read about all types of planes, but he'd never heard the roar of a motor stood on the backwash of a spinning propeller. He'd never seen them take off or land. Standing there that day, he saw everything. He saw them loop, spin, dive, and climb. They were old and unpainted, but to him, they were beautiful. He turned to the tall man standing beside him, his father. Dad, they're wonderful, aren't they? His father glanced down at his son, a boy who never got excited about anything, a son he didn't even know. You uh, act like you'd never seen a plane before. The boy, his eyes on fire, watching the small wings flashing, turning in the sky, answered, I haven't. Not like this. And standing there watching, he knew what he wanted, where he belonged. Yes, that's how it began. A month later, he left home. He took any job that could get him closer to his dream of flying. His days off? Simply spent them at the closest airport. He worked and saved. Money, money, that's what it took to do it. For lessons, instructions, so many figure eights, so many landings, takeoffs, so many hours logged, his solo, and finally his license. And there it was, and he was a part of it. A part of the sky he had looked at for so long, and he doing what he'd watched being done, flying. Any kind, stunt flying at carnivals or fairs, sightseeing tours, giving lessons. He didn't care about the money or whether he ate. Because up there, high in the air, what you had in your pocket didn't matter. Up there, he was a millionaire, and everything was fine. And then suddenly, it wasn't enough. Something was missing. And that thing that hits every man, at least once in his lifetime, hit him hard. Those magic words, fame, glory, the knowing that you've done something. An idea began to form in his mind, slowly at first... And then with a rush it came. He could do it. Yes, it started all over again. The saving, the going without, the self-denial. Finally, he was ready. He had his plane. Nothing shiny or bright or new, but it would fly. The morning of July 18th, 1938, his ship, heavy with gas, rose from the airport at Long Beach, California. There were those who laughed who said he'd never make it. He was flying a 1929 Curtis monoplane. His destination, New York, 
3,000 miles nonstop in a plane 10 years old. 23 hours later, a small group of disinterested people stood on the hard concrete runway at Roosevelt Field, New York. They heard the motor before they actually saw him. Then he was down, out of the clouds, making his approach. It wasn't a three-point landing, and as he climbed down from the plane, two empty pop bottles in his hand, one of the airport mechanics grabbed his arm. Hey, where'd you come from, buddy? And with a big grin, he answered, Long Beach, California. The man choked and gasped out his answer. In that crate? The aviator, the smile still in his eyes, patted the attendant on the back. Yeah, in that crate. Fill her up with gas, will you, Sonny? I have to go back and pick up the deposit on these bottles. In the early dawn of the morning, he sat quietly in the cockpit, his plane's nose pointed westward, the auxiliary gas tanks almost completely blocking his view. He glanced at his watch. 6 a.m. He was ready to go back. He got his clearance in the tower, and slowly he started. every available foot of the runway, and finally he was up, clear, on his way, with a ham sandwich at his feet, six dollars in his pocket, and a dream in his heart. There was a storm, fog. He flew blind, his faith and trust in his compass, himself, and God. For 23 hours he flew, his eyes straining through the darkness, on a Curtis monoplane, the altimeter and gas gauge are side by side. He was flying at 7,000 feet with enough gas for maybe 10 minutes. He had to go down. Slowly, his hand moved on the stick. The nose of the plane dropped. 5,000, 4, 2, 1. He could see through the mist. He found clearance. His heart opened again. His throat choked with happiness, for below was land, green, lush meadows. Quickly, he picked his spot, lowered his flaps, and gently set his ship down. As he climbed from the plane, he saw a little man rushing across the field, waving his hat and screaming, Sure now, you're a real idiot. You've ruined the cabbage patch. Are you out of your mind, man? The airman smiled his first smile in a long time. No, not out of my mind. Just happy. At the sound of his voice, the little man's manner changed his mouth drawing tight at the corners. And where might she be coming from? The boy answered quickly, still smiling. New York. Why? The little man gasped. He was truly a madman. He glanced at the small ship, then again at the tall, slim boy beside it, and, as if speaking of something sacred, he said, New York. The young man's smile disappeared. His eyes narrowed. Uh, where am I? England? Quickly, the man answered, No, no, you're wrong again. Does this look like England? Do I sound like a limey? Say, what's your name, anyhow? Slowly and with emphasis, the smile spreading again over his face, he answered, Douglas Corrigan, my Irish friend. And that's right. Not wrong. And there it is. Out of the storybook of life. At one time or another, we all ride public transportation. Many times, we see many strange things. Happy moments, sad ones. Take this story, for instance. It was hot, July hot. Driving a bus was not the most ideal way to spend a summer afternoon. 
His shirt clung to the leather seat, the wheel in his hand wet with perspiration, but it was a job. One more trip and he was through for the day. He swung around the terminal dock. There was a mob as usual. And they piled into the bus, pushing, pulling, elbowing their way. He never failed to wonder about them, people. They rushed to work, they rushed to lunch, and at five o'clock when they were through work, they even rushed home. A man with a five-dollar bill stopped his thinking along that line. There's always a guy like that, a five-dollar bill for a ten-cent fare, with 20 people waiting to get in the bus. As usual, everybody stayed up in front. He spoke automatically. There's plenty of room in the back, folks. Move back. Plenty of room. It was then he noticed the dog, the harness on his back. The little boy standing, holding on to the harness, waiting to climb onto the bus. His anger got the best of him. Hey, Sonny, no dogs allowed on the bus. The boy stared back at him blankly with unblinking eyes. Finally dropped his head and turned away. The woman he just issued the transfer to whispered in his ear. That's a seeing eye dog, you can tell by the harness. The little boy is blind. The driver's face reddened and quickly called out, Hey, uh, kid, come on, it's okay. He couldn't have been more than nine, ten at the most. And as he climbed into the bus, his face opened into a wide, beautiful smile. Thanks, mister. You see, this dog is... The driver whispered gently, Yeah, yeah, I know. He closed the door, turned, made sure the boy was in his seat, put the bus in gear, and they were off. Through the rear vision mirror, he could see the boy sitting quietly in the seat behind him, looking neither right nor left, just sitting there, stroking the dog, who sat just as quietly at his feet. He had never seen a kid that young who was blind before. Nice looking, too. The dog was a German shepherd, gray and white. They made quite a picture. He raised his voice above the roar of the bus and said, Where'd he get off, kid? The boy turned his head to answer. Uh, Howard Street. Then he smiled that big smile. The driver couldn't help smiling back. Okay, I'll call it out good and loud. But what was he being so nice about? Was still hot, but at least he had his sight. What did the kid behind him have? A dog and a harness for the rest of his life. The bus was almost empty now. Howard Street was only a block away. As he reached the corner, he pulled on his handbrake. Then he turned in his seat. Here it is, kid. You're stopped. Can I give you a hand? Oh, no. No, we can make it okay. Thanks for letting my dog ride the bus. The driver answered quickly. Ah, don't mention it. I'd give a dog like him a lift any time. He's a smart dog. The boy answered that big smile filling his face. Yeah, he sure is, mister. He has to be. My dog's blind. And there it is. Out of the storybook of life. Till next we meet, when I'll have two more stories transcribed from the storybook of life. I remain your storyteller, Jim Amici.